0: Okay, before we get started into what I have for us today, uh, I wanted to see if there were any questions or thoughts um, from what we covered our previous two weeks. Um, we had discover- we had uh, taught on the topic of uh, friendship with God and in one week, and then the ramifications of friendship with God in the second week. God... God wants to befriend you. God wants to move toward you in a spirit of friendship and grace and mercy. But friendship with God also has certain ramifications. It means exclusive friendship with God and with his things and to to uh, you can't love both God and sin, God says. You know, it's mutually exclusive. God is much like a wife or a husband who expects their spouse to remain devoted to them. Okay, any questions? There are not questions, but thoughts about that as kind of the week played out. doesn't have to be, but I thought I'd open it up just in case. Okay, well, I'd like to tackle a little different topic this morning, um, similarly related, but something that I've um, uh, been reading through. Um, I... <laughs> I'll pull back the curtain on my uh, life a little bit. I get up nice and early and uh, I get uh, the coffee going. And sometimes, I, I don't know how, what the ratio is, but the deal that my wife and I have is whoever gets up first gets the coffee going. And I would say probably, it's probably about half and half, maybe, probably about half and half, she'll do it I do. It. Either way, once the coffee gets going, I pour my cup of coffee into one of those Yeti coffee mugs. Now, if you have a Yeti coffee mug, you know something. You know that that coffee will stay hot um, for a very long time. Okay, and so what I do is I have my Bible reading, and then I have an additional uh, devotional book, um, some uh, spiritual book, in addition to the Bible reading, and I will read as long as I have coffee. Okay, and. I don't know how long that usually takes. I I don't put a timer on it. Honestly, I have no idea. I just know that when the coffee is finished, book's closed, time to get started with the rest of the day. I hope that makes sense. So, one thing that I've been reading about lately uh, in this sort of second book, this book I've been reading, is the topic of Christian zeal. The topic of Christian zeal. I want us to start with this idea I want us to start with this idea then we're going to work through quite a few points of scripture and we'll revisit, revisit this in a moment. I think the problem one of the major problems we have when we talk about Christian zeal is that we misunderstand what zeal is from a biblical perspective. Okay? Uh, I mentioned last week we often think of zeal let me say it this way we often think of zeal as an attribute that a person has that they have no control over, they just have it. Okay, let me explain. Um, there are people who love the arts. They love fine music and art and artistic expression and they're, they, they're up to date on who the Great artists are, and they love to study who the great artists of the past were. And when there's a, uh, an exhibition of some sort nearby, they, they find out where it is, and they get there, and they love it. And, and when that person is a child, their parents no more taught them that than they taught them how to breathe. That person just loves it. The same is true of sports. There are people who just love sports they if it's a game and they're keeping score this person will watch it now they no more try to be that way than the artist tries to love art they just love it they pay attention they remember the facts they understand it they take to it like a fish to water other people I'll give one more example other people that are like that with food they love quality gourmet food i I have a relative and he will literally eat cold chef boyardee ravioli right out of the can like just takes the can knocks the top off and eats it how many of you have done that ben warm it up okay (laughs) it's just it doesn't it doesn't matter to, to to him like it's like food is just food and but other people other people I mean you know who they are uh, it, it, they they love quality food uh, they they'll they'll find specialty grocery stores uh, in town or wherever they live and they they watch shows and they 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 can taste the subtlest differences of this amount of salt or that amount of sugar or whatever and they they just take to it they love it they They're inclined that way. That's how most of us think of the Christian attribute of zeal. Some Christians have it and take to it and are naturally more zealous, and some Christians don't. They are by nature more reserved, or I'm certain that there are several of us in here who when I say Christian zeal, the first thought that comes to your mind is, well, I'm shy. As though that disqualifies us from having to be zealous. I would like to show you that that definition of zeal is very mistaken. This sort of zeal is an attribute that one either has or doesn't have and can't do much to get. Okay? I want us to, I want to show you What zeal is, and we'll kind of work toward a good definition of it and what we're to be putting on. Fair enough? Okay. Because when we use words and when the Bible uses words, we have to remember that those words are very old and very different cultures at very different times, and we have to work to understand what they meant when they said it. So let's do that. Number one. Number one. And I've got four main points and three applications if you want to if that will help you take notes. Number 1, Christians are explicitly commanded to be zealous. Okay? Number 1, Christians are explicitly commanded to be zealous. In Romans chapter 12 verse 11, we're told this. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. The words zeal and fervent come from the same family of words. Uh, in other words, Paul is uh, telling us here, don't be, don't be lazy, don't be slack in matters of zeal, but be hot, be boiling in spirit. Don't be fervent in zeal, but be, don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent. In spirit, That's Romans chapter 12, verse 11. In Revelation 3.19, Jesus is talking to the Laodicean church. The Laodiceans were, many of you know, they were neither hot nor cold. Jesus blames their wealth. He says that they were so wealthy, they didn't feel that they had need of any other person. They didn't have need of any other Christians. And because of this great wealth of theirs, they had grown lukewarm. And Jesus says, I, I'd i rather you be cold. And because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus is unco- not unkind, but Jesus is va- rather straightforward with this group of people. And he says to them, be zealous and repent. Again, the word zeal comes from the word of fervor. The idea is a rolling boil. Okay, you know what this looks like when you a pot of water on the on the stove. Uh, there's a simmer, that's not quite there. And then there's when the water is just boiling up. That's the word zeal. Be, he says, be zealous, boil over, and repent of your lack of zeal. Okay? So again, here we're told that slothfulness and zeal, a lack of zeal, is a sin worthy of repentance, and zeal ought to be put on. In Romans 12, 8. Paul encourages those who lead, lead with zeal. In other words, those who are in charge of the affairs of the church, do it with zeal. That's the first point. Number one, Christians are explicitly commanded to be zealous. Christians are explicitly commanded to be zealous. Number two, Christians are explicitly commanded to put on the components of zeal, okay? I'll explain what that is in a minute. Not only are we commanded to be zealous, we're commanded to put on the things associated with zeal, to put on the zealous components. 2 Timothy one six, Paul is talking to his protege Timothy, and he says, you've been given a gift from God. Now, this is something that we all have. Every believer has been given a gift, a gift of mercy, a gift of... Uh, generosity, a gift of prayer, a gift of leadership. uh, There's all sorts of different gifts, and each one of you has one, if you're in Christ Jesus. And Paul tells him to fan that gift into flame. Take what God has given you, take the gifting that God has provided, and work at fanning that into a flame. Now, as I've said many times before, we used to heat with firewood. And occasionally, the fire would go out. And when the fire goes out, it's a terrible pain. Because you can't just, th- there's the coals are still really hot in there, and you can kind of blow away the ash and stuff like that and, and, and pile up the, the coals But if you want to start over with kindling, it's so hot in there that when you get your hand in there to put the kindling in, it burns your hands. It doesn't go right. It's just, it's not, it it traps the air. It's just not great. The best thing to do is to use your shovel, and pile up the coals, and cut up a couple pieces, kind of small, and just drop them on top. And then I made a little um, contraption, very simple contraption was a piece of plumbing pipe the plastic plumbing pipe plastic because if you use metal you will burn your lips okay and then I attached a small little plumbing fitting on the end to cut the air down and I would blow through the nozzle blow through the the little uh, pipe it would hit the nozzle compress it and hit the coals okay now the key is After you're done blowing, not to breathe in through the tube, okay? Or you will suck in some smoke. But with that little contraption, you can get a lot of air on those coals quickly. So we don't need one of those little things anymore. You know what I'm talking about? What do they call those things? Billows. Billows are for the birds, okay? Just use this little contraption. You blow what's already hot and smoldering, and you blow it. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't, it's indirect. You can't blow the coals into flame. What you do is you put the wood on it, and the coals get hot, and turn your wood into flame. So, Paul is saying to Timothy, you've already been given the coals, you've already been given the raw materials, go to the effort to fan all of that all of that gifting all those raw materials into flame if you've done this before something cool happens when you're blowing when you're blowing firewood into flame it kind of happens immediately like you work and work and work and you see the smoke building you see the heat building and then suddenly it goes like this I find that to be the case with Christian zeal. Sometimes you have to work at this component of building it and building it, and then it sort of comes at once. Number two, we're, well, we're explicitly commanded to put on zeal's components. Titus 3 Again, we're told that Titus is to teach and insist and work with believers so that those who believe in God may devote themselves, and that's the idea, they may devote themselves to good works. One of the components of zeal is personal devotion to good works. So, let me explain what we're talking about here. The the Bible explicitly commands us to be zealous. Number two, the Bible explicitly commands us to all the components of zeal. The components of zeal are these, fanning God's gift into flame, devoting ourselves, committing ourselves to good works. Another one of the components is these, Hebrews 10.24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Another component of zeal is the deliberate thoughtfulness of encouraging other people to zeal. The word stir up in other contexts is actually not great. How many of you know um, you would call them an agitator? Okay? An agitator. It's like where wherever that person goes, drama follows. You could have a group of people over here perfectly happy and content doing their own thing, and within one week, they're angry about something and bickering with each other. What was the difference? Well, that was the introduction of this agitator. You know what I mean? Um, In fact, some governments, it's a crime to be an agitator of the people, okay? You can't have any agitation going on. The idea of agitation is just stirring the pot. Literally, you've got, you're cooking something and you need to stir, you need to emulsify, you need to get it stirred in under the heat. Well, this is the idea. Christians building our zeal, fanning our gifts into flame, are are supposed to give conscious thought of how we can be not an annoying, irksome type of encouragement, but a godly, spiritual encouraging of other people to do the same thing, to their fanning of their gifts into flame, to their devotion to good works. And so we're explicitly commanded to be so zealous that we would encourage others to do the same in revelation 2 5 jesus is talking to the church at ephesus they've lost their first love their love for the lord is cooled. and jesus says remember therefore from where you have fallen repent and do the works you did at the first there's a a strong correlation here when we sense that coldness Entering in in our relationship with God, that's a sin that needs to be run from and turned from, not a state of mind that we should grow comfortable with, not a state of mind that we should become okay with. Recall back to when you first got hold of God's grace and what that meant. Consider the coldness of your spirit now. And run from that by putting on the components of zeal, fanning your gifts into flame, devoting yourself to love and good works, considering how to encourage others to good works. Now, point one, God commands all Christians to be zealous. Number two, God commands all Christians to put on the components of zeal to do and embody the activities that promote zeal does that make sense so far any questions to this point okay all we've done is covered the oh yes Heather second Timothy 1 6 no worries now all we've done is covered the what now let's talk about the why why is God so concerned that his people be zealous why does God want every one of you to be zealous regardless of your temperament well because zeal is extremely (laughs) godlike zeal is godlike God is the most zealous person in the cosmos. God is characterized by zeal. And he wants his people to be reflections of him and to be zealous as well. Deuteronomy 4.24. The Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God, a jealous the word jealous in the Old Testament and the word zealous is the same word. I believe it's, uh, kin, it's kin ha is the Hebrew word. Now, sometimes zeal boils over into sinful jealousy. And sometimes zeal boils over into good jealousy. This is the word "jealous" that's used for the jealousy that a n- newly married husband has for his bride. Okay, you can imagine if uh, imagine being at a wedding. Okay, imagine imagine this. Um, when I when I conduct a wedding, generally what happens is I go with the groom to a little room off to the side. While all the wedding party comes down and we wait for people to fill in and so forth. And then the groom and I come out before his bride comes down the aisle. Now imagine, as I'm standing back there with the groom and the groomsmen, that one of the groomsmen says to the groom, You know, I saw your bride, I saw her in our wedding dress. And he goes, Yeah. He goes, Yeah, it's kinda ugly. <laughs> you could imagine how the groom might respond to that, okay? I, I don't, I don't know that they would get in a fight right there, but it's it's not an appropriate thing to say at that moment. You would expect that the groom at that moment is going to feel uh, a godly jealousy for his bride, that he's going to yearn for her and want her and he can't wait to see her and so forth. Well. This is the same word, zealous and jealous. It's that same word, a deep affection that causes the person who's experiencing it to reach out and take hold of. We're told that God is a consuming fire, a zealous, a jealous God for his people. And because he's zealous and jealous for his people, It causes him to act on their behalf, okay? Isaiah chapter 9, 6, and 7. You guys know this passage. We're probably going to read it a bunch of times in the coming days. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. um, His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Of his kingdom there will be no end. who's Who's this predicting? What's this predicting? Yeah, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. What accomplishes that? Isaiah 9, 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Christ coming to earth to die a sacrificial death, and then take the government of the entire world upon his shoulders is a function, God says, primarily of his zeal, of his zeal and jealousy for us. God moves to act on our behalf. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 13, the the passage begins, Behold my servant. Again, this is... a This is a passage predicting that God would send his Messiah into the world. What was the motivation? It says, the Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. Like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. I don't know that our armies much do this today, but in centuries past, and probably still (laughs) often enough, Before warriors go out, they have an elaborate war dance that they do to try to psych themselves up for the coming battle. And this is the picture God gives of himself. He says that he is going out to fight for us. And forgive me if this sounds like I'm lowering God, but the passage says that he stirs himself, he's psyching himself up, as it were, to go fight for us to go to war for us. And he's doing it. The, the thing that he's going to do is he's going to send his son, his only son, into the world to die a death on a cross. And like a mighty man of war, God is stirring himself up to make this great sacrifice for us. God is zealous above all people. Psalm 69.9 is quoted in John 2.17. Jesus sees his temple in disrepair. He sees that people are making money off of his father's house. And he makes a cord, uh, he makes a whip, and with great fury and might, he drives those men out. I don't know how many of them there were there. Let's call it a hundred. One on a hundred... Jesus took care of business, and nobody stood up to him. Nobody could stand up to him. They, they no more thought of fighting back than, I mean, they, they saw his fury. They saw the rage in his eyes. They saw the whip that he was yielding, and they, in fear, ran. Off, they skedaddled, and. When the disciples were thinking about what Jesus was doing there, they remembered Psalm sixty-nine, nine. Zeal for your house has consumed me. God wants us to be zealous, and God wants us to put on the components of zeal because it's a reflection of his own character and actions. God, above all, is zealous, and he's zealous for his people. So zealous, That he moves and acts like a mighty man on our behalf. Last point before we get to our applications. Zeal is considered the primary purpose of the gospel. When God and the councils of eternity passed, thought, um, why should I follow through with this plan on the gospel? One of his primary motivating factors was your zeal. Your zeal. Let me illustrate. Titus 2.14. This is talking about Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself the people of his own possession who are zealous, who are zealous for good primary purposes of the gospel is for you to be a zealous person. So, have I convinced you, has the Bible convinced you, of the need for zeal? (laughs) Regardless of your temperament, regardless of your disposition, regardless of your station in life. Okay. Excellent. I'll consider no objections on this point. Okay? All right. Let's do some conclusions. Let's make some conclusions. Number one, God doesn't consider zeal to be an attribute or an emotion or a trait or some temporary affection. Zeal is not, let me just break those down. Remember at the very beginning, I talked about zeal being an attribute, like a sports lover loves sports or a music lover loves music or a food lover loves food. They just love it, and they didn't do anything for that love. It happened on them. We don't expect a music lover to love sports equally as much. We don't expect a food lover to love music equally as much. This is what they love, right? God doesn't think of zeal that way. Zeal is not an attribute that we're, we either have or we don't. Nor is zeal an emotion. Zeal, oftentimes emotions come and go. We can. There's times where we feel more loving toward our spouse or more loving toward our friends or more resentful toward sins and evils that we see in the world. These things crescendo up and decrescendo down. Zeal is not an emotion that way. It's not an emotion that God, exp- that God wants to go up or go down with seasons. God does not expect zeal to be temporary. It's not something we put on on Sunday mornings and then quickly forget and move on with our lives. It's God expects zeal to be an abiding attribute of our Christian lives, an abiding characteristic that we all embody. What does God consider zeal to be? He considers it to be a settled and permanent disposition toward himself. A settled and permanent, and I could even add growing, a settled, permanent, and growing disposition toward himself. Now, often we associate zeal with... um a personality type. Or we associate zeal with a worship style. We, Some of us who've been around Christianity for a long time associate zeal with evangelism. A zealous Christian is one who's a soul winner. And all those verses that I mentioned, was zeal connected with any of those? Not at all. Zeal starts in here. Zeal is a settled disposition that we feed and feed and feed. We put fuel on that. And it results in a permanent disposition and commitment to the Lord that spans personality types. A shy person can be just as zealous for the Lord as an outgoing person. And an outgoing person can be a hypocrite. They put on like they're loving the Lord and being zealous for him, but inside they're cold as ice, or inside they're um, harboring secret sins. zeal is an internal, permanent, abiding disposition toward himself. Number two, this is our second conclusion. So the first conclusion is this. Zeal is a a settled, permanent, and growing disposition toward God. Number two, God closely associates this disposition preparation, good works, and others. The work of zeal is the work of preparation. Did you hear it when we were going through some of those components of zeal? Fan this gift into flame. Stir one another up. Zeal is the sort of thing that requires tending and work in the sense of uh, a constant attention to. Um, You can take cold water and throw it on your zeal if you want to, but it would be hard to get it going again. We often do that with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. If we want to obey the Lord in this zealous disposition toward himself, most of the work is preparatory. The zeal that we're told that we all must have is seen in good works, okay, good works. Um, zeal is, is more than an emotion, it's a manifestation that results in action and activity. But again, most of us, if I were to have you at the beginning of this lesson to write down what is zeal, would have probably come up with something in terms of telling others about Christ, and that is a function of zeal. But it's a minor one compared to the rest of the New Testament. That's where this other one comes in. This others God, God wants us to be God as as we get as we're zealous toward Him, as we have this permanent, settled, growing disposition toward Him, we'll prepare ourselves. And what happens is good works onto others follows. Zeal is often zeal is never private. Uh, zeal is helping others, encouraging others, working with others. In fact, very rarely is it is it working with others who are outside of the faith. But rather it's an encouragement and a help and a blessing to those inside our church. God is encouraging a zeal where we rise to encourage our own people and help our own people. Zeal is is a disposition that God's people appreciate and notice first and more so than anybody else. then last, I've said this once before, but zeal is not associated with evangelism as much as it is directed to other believers. God expects his people to be zealous. He is zealous. He is zealous for his people. His zeal for his people causes him to act on their behalf. And as Christians are permanently disposed toward him, and do the work of preparation in their hearts, warmth and action will rise, and an encouragement and blessing to others will soon spill out to the benefit of God's people. Kay? So, God expects it. Let's prepare ourselves and allow that disposition to boil over for the benefit of others. Do we have any questions? We've got about three minutes. We can take a few questions or comments. I'm gonna take a drink of water while you guys ponder and reflect. Yes, Pam. Yes, that's right. Yes, First Corinthians 13, all of those love is, love is kind, love is patient, those are all verbs, believe it or not. It's just really hard to translate that in English. Love, patience is a verb. Love suffers long. Love kinds other people. <laughs> uh, love is, is extremely active. It's good. Thank you. Others. How many of you before today would have associated zeal with an emotion? Okay. Good. Do you see how that's different from a disposition? you see the difference? Good. Okay. Any other questions? Thoughts? Comments? Criticisms? Don't do that. You can talk to me after. Um, (laughs) All right. Going once, going twice. Um, Let's pray. Father, would you stir in us a heart for for zeal? Um, May we uh, take the time for the preparatory work of zeal. May we put on your zeal. pray that you would warm each of our hearts as we fan into flame the gift that you've given us for the benefit of others.